Welcome to the University of Calgary's DCNS podcast series, bringing the clinical neurosciences to primary care. My name is Tyson Brust, a senior neurology resident at the University of Calgary and your host for today's podcast. For show notes, disclosures, and references, please visit our website at www.dcnspodcast.com. In today's podcast, we are going to discuss the role of primary care physicians in recognizing patients who may have multiple sclerosis. We will focus on common presentations of multiple sclerosis, the differential diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, and the initial workup of patients suspected of having multiple sclerosis. To discuss the approach to the initial diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, we have Dr. Michael Young with us today. Dr. Young is a clinical associate professor of neurology at the University of Calgary and a multiple sclerosis specialist. He has been the director of the Multiple Sclerosis Clinical Trials Research Program since 2007. He has also been the program director of the Adult Neurology Residency Program since 2012. Dr. Young and myself have recently co-written an article for the Canadian Journal of Diagnosis entitled, When to Suspect Multiple Sclerosis? common presentations, and differential diagnosis. The content of today's podcast will be largely based on this article. For the full reference, please visit our website. Thank you for participating in this podcast, Dr. Young. Thank you for having me. Let's begin with a case, and then I'll ask for your comments uh, afterwards. A 33-year-old, previously healthy woman presents to your office with numbness of her left arm, leg, and torso. It started with numbness in her foot and over the course of a week ascended up her leg, the left side of her torso, and finally into her left arm. She is otherwise well and has not had any antecedent illnesses, fevers, or constitutional symptoms. However, she has been experiencing electric shock-like sensations going down her back with bending her head forward, also known as Lermite sign, for the past few days. She has been feeling unusually fatigued as well. So, Dr. Young, how would you approach this patient? Sensory disturbances are very common in the general population. However, there are certain characteristics of this presentation that would make someone suspect something like multiple sclerosis. The Lermites sign is consistent with a potential cervical spinal cord lesion or perhaps a cervical disc protrusion. Further history would be very helpful because the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis requires separation in space and time. Separation in space meaning that it has to involve separate distinct areas of the brain or spinal cord and separation in time meaning there has to be a time interval between those episodes. So further history is definitely important and the neurological examination would also be very helpful. Further history was obtained in this case and on further questioning you find out that five years ago this patient had an episode of subacute painful vision loss and color desaturation in her right eye that slowly improved over six to eight weeks. So this would indicate likely optic neuritis and optic neuritis is a very common presentation uh, in multiple sclerosis. The most common presentations of multiple sclerosis, however, are sensory disturbances, but they have to be in a specific pattern that is consistent with a central cause, meaning an abnormality in the brain or spinal cord, 
versus a peripheral cause, meaning a root lesion or a peripheral neuropathy. So what are the most common symptoms present at the onset of MS, uh, Dr. Young? So common presentations include sensory losses or disturbances, often in the brainstem or in the spinal cord. So for example, a hemi-body sensory loss involving the face, arm, trunk, and leg could be suggestive of a cortical problem. A crossed findings where one side of the face is numb and the opposite side of the body is numb uh, is suggestive of a brainstem abnormality or symptoms suggestive of a transverse myelitis with a sensory level with bowel and bladder disturbance could also be consistent with a uh, presentation of MS. Numbness in one limb, a leg or an arm with other upper motor neuron findings such as increased reflexes or upgoing toes could again indicate an upper motor neuron lesion in the spinal cord or in the brain. Other symptoms may also include weakness. Again, there have to be upper motor neuron findings such as increased reflexes or upgoing toes, vision loss due to optic neuritis as described in this case, diplopia which is binocular with observed extraocular eye movement abnormalities. The most common would be internuclear ophthalmoplegia or INO which is a lesion of the brainstem at the level of the medial longitudinal fasciculus. Cerebellar abnormalities or coordination difficulties may also occur. Usually this is on one side of the body and combinations of all these abnormalities could also be seen. Thanks, Dr. Young. So many patients will be presenting with sensory disturbances, uh, weakness, uh, visual disturbances, which are generally nonspecific uh, symptoms. So are there any red flags that may indicate other diagnostic possibilities besides MS? So in MS, usually onset is subacute occurring over hours or days, primarily in sensory disturbances or in weakness. Uh, if it is very acute or hyperacute of sudden onset, then stroke or vascular events is a possibility. Malignancies can also be within the differential diagnosis, primarily if the onset is very insidious or very slow over many weeks or months. Bilateral visual loss is uncommon in MS. Optic neuritis usually occurs just in one eye. Monocular diplopia is also not a symptom of MS and may indicate an ophthalmological problem and not a brainstem abnormality. In MS, there are certain clinical features that are more suggestive. Age of onset between the ages of 15 and 50 are more likely younger onset or older patients, MS is less likely. Multiple areas of the spinal cord and the brain have to be involved. Lermite's phenomenon or Lermite's sign as described in this case can be a presenting symptom, but it can also represent cervical disc disease or a tumor of the cervical spinal cord. Fatigue, again a nonspecific symptom, can be part of MS, especially during an exacerbation or a relapse. 
UTOPS phenomenon or worsening of their symptoms with heat uh, is very common in MS. You've alluded to uh, certain uh, physical exam findings that might be present on someone presenting with uh, multiple sclerosis. To summarize, uh, you may look for things like uh, visual disturbances such as color desaturation or loss of acuity in, in one eye. You may find pupil abnormalities such as a, a relative afferent pupillary defect. Um, there may be abnormal extraocular movements. There may be uh, sensory disturbances in half the face, for example. There may be weakness on exam or hyperreflexia, spasticity, or a sensory level. There may be uh, difficulties with coordination testing, so on. For example, finger-to-nose testing, they may have difficulty with that on one side. There may be uh, disturbances of gait. Um, so given that, uh, these findings that you may find on, on physical exam, what uh, additional uh, investigations would you recommend uh, to be initiated in someone suspected of having uh, multiple sclerosis? So as always in neurology, we try to localize what we find on examination, and if it does fit with an upper motor neuron problem, which is most common in MS, we would do some imaging, and we would recommend an MRI of the brain and cervical spinal cord, uh, usually with and without gadolinium or contrast. Depending on the clinical scenario and the presentation, an initial workup may consist of CBC and differential, liver function tests, renal function tests, electrolytes including calcium, magnesium, and phosphate, glucose, serum protein electrophoresis, vitamin B12 levels to rule out subacute combined degeneration, rheumatoid factor, ANA, syphilis serology, HIV serology, and an MRI of the brain and cervical spinal cord with and without contrast. Other things, again, depending on the clinical presentation, may include the NMO antibody or aquaforin 4 antibody uh, looking for neuromyelitis optica. Because vitamin D has been seen to be useful or perhaps protective in multiple sclerosis, vitamin D levels should also be done. One of the caveats of making the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis is that there cannot be a better explanation. Because there is no one specific blood test, MRI, or imaging test that makes a diagnosis of MS, we must rule out all other potential mimickers. Neurologists or specialists in MS can help do that given the clinical scenario or with what the patient presents with ethnic origin, nationality, where the patient comes from may dictate what other tests are done. Thanks for that summary, Dr. Young. Next, could you please discuss the epidemiology of MS for our listeners? So multiple sclerosis tends to be a disease of young people, primarily of young women, in their childbearing years and in their most productive work years tends to be a disease also of Western Europeans, um, and it is almost never seen in 
First Nations or primary peoples of the region, such as First Nations people, uh, the Inuit in the north, um, the Aboriginals in Australia, and in Romanian gypsies. If those racial profiles have Caucasian blood, then all bets are off. MS is very common in the temperate zones of the world, southern Canada, northern United States, similar latitudes in Europe, as well as in Australia and the southern hemisphere. The tropics almost never sees a multiple sclerosis. There is likely a racial predisposition because it is much more prevalent in certain countries and certain native popul and certain racial populations. It is not common in Chinese, it is a bit more common in Japanese and more common in Koreans. In the Middle East, the Lebanese tend to have a worse prognosis, so there is some genetic predisposition to developing the disease. At this point, it is thought that something in the environment triggers the autoimmune response that causes multiple sclerosis and the destruction of myelin. What that environmental trigger is has not been found. Vitamin D has seem, seems to be important in the pathophysiology or perhaps in protecting people from worsening of multiple sclerosis. The ratio of multiple sclerosis is approximately three to one, um, females to males. This ratio seems to be rising across the world and it is uncertain why that is occurring. Smoking tobacco has also been shown to actually make MS worse, so we would recommend that all patients stop smoking if they are smokers. Supplementation with vitamin D, a minimum of 4,000 international units per day, is also recommended. The most common clinical course of multiple sclerosis is relapsing remitting MS, which means that patients have an episode of neurological dysfunction, it lasts for a period of time, and then it either gets better or else it stabilizes. A small subset will have progressive multiple sclerosis where symptoms continue to worsen over time. There is no evidence of improvement or remission in those cases. Currently, there is no cure for multiple sclerosis. However, for relapsing remitting disease, there are disease-modifying therapies that are available that may help alter or slow down the progression of MS. There are side effects associated with these medications which are monitored usually by blood work. The most common are liver function abnormalities. So family doctors may get lab results that show elevated liver function tests or changes in the white count or in the differential counts. These are because of the disease-modifying therapies and are also monitored by MS specialists. The DMTs do not change any symptoms that patients may currently have. They are meant to prevent relapses by a certain percentage and to perhaps slow down the progression of the disease over time. Thanks for that summary, Dr. Young. When do you think a family physician or someone working in primary care should refer a patient to an MS specialist? A patient should be referred 
when the symptoms are very suggestive of multiple sclerosis and there are abnormalities on the neurological examination as had been described previously to suggest that this is a central problem involving the brain and spinal cord. Basic blood tests should probably already have been done and an MRI of the brain and cervical spinal cord should also have been ordered. Earlier treatments with the DMTs, disease-modifying therapies may make a difference to the prognosis of uh, relapsing remitting patients. Also, if there is a family history, a strong family history of multiple sclerosis, those patients should probably be referred sooner rather than later. Let's go back to our case. An MRI was done of the brain and cervical spine, and it showed a hyperintense lesion in the cervical spinal cord, as well as two perpendicular, two perpendicularly oriented periventricular lesions supporting the clinical diagnosis of relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. So to conclude this podcast, do you have any take-home messages for our listeners, uh, Dr. Young? So to take home, I think, number one, the initial presentation of MS varies widely in symptomatology and severity from patient to patient. As we had discussed, it typically manifests as sensory disturbances, weakness, visual loss, gait disturbance, double vision, ataxia, vertigo, or sphincter dysfunction. There is no single laboratory or imaging test that makes the diagnosis of MS. Once MS is considered to be the most likely diagnosis, the clinician must evaluate for evidence of dissemination in space, meaning abnormalities in the brain and spinal cord, and dissemination in time, meaning that there has been disease activity over time. The diagnosis can be supported by investigations such as laboratory studies, CSF studies, MRI, but other diseases also have to be ruled out as the caveat is that there cannot be any better explanation. White matter lesions on an MRI have a differential diagnosis. Periventricular lesions, juxtacortical lesions, infratentorial lesions, and cervical spinal cord lesions may be more closely associated with multiple sclerosis. Non-specific white matter lesions are less likely to represent multiple sclerosis in patients who are in the age category of 60 or over or who have cardiovascular risk factors, small vessel disease is more likely the cause of these white matter lesions rather than multiple sclerosis. Headaches and migraine headaches can also cause white matter lesions. Patients that have typical symptoms for MS with typical imaging findings and fulfill the current criteria for multiple sclerosis do not need additional investigations. Referral to a neurologist or a specialized multidisciplinary MS clinic may improve the prognosis and quality of life of many of these patients. Well, thank you, Dr. Young. That uh, concludes today's podcast. Next time, we're going to discuss the management of multiple sclerosis symptoms as well as 
relapses and pseudo-relapses. Thanks for listening.